This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. In a way, the research and understanding the science of the mind was my path to freedom. It was my path to actually understanding that I was normal, I wasn't crazy. The fact that our brain is wired to predict and protect. And of course I've burned out. Because when you suddenly have a reality check of like how we're wired, you're suddenly like, of course I'm experiencing anxiety. That's normal. My brain is trying to do something good for me. Hello and welcome to the Not Perfect Podcast. I'm your host, Poppy Jamie, the founder of award-winning mindfulness app, Happy Not Perfect. And this show is about upgrading our mind, our energy, and our understanding of how we can live life to our fullest potential. Over the next few weeks, I'm interviewing thought leaders, scientists, nutritionists, and experts to share tips and tricks for how we can shed the old and step into the new. I hope you join me on the journey. Hello and welcome to a very special episode. For the first time ever, I'm actually not going to be your host. I'm going to transfer that to a great friend of mine, Janelle Audred, because as some of you guys might know, I'm releasing my first ever book in a few days time. And if you haven't pre-ordered it, I would deeply appreciate it if you did, because it means so much to first-time authors. And the book, Happy Not Perfect, is a very special one to me. And so rather than me just tell you about it, I thought I'd invite Janelle along to interview me so we can just discuss this book that is shortly coming into the world. And for anyone who listens to this podcast regularly, 
you have been on a very long journey of discovery with me and it's been going now for gosh nearly coming up to two years so anyway without any further ado hi Janelle thank you so much I'll leave this to you going forward So I'm really excited to do this interview with Poppy today because I've known Poppy for 10 years and we used to work together. So seeing Poppy from colleagues to launching the app to writing this book, she's someone that's always, always inspired me to think bigger. But reading the book, and I guess there was an inkling of it going back to when we used to work together in that newsroom, in the basement, in the dungeon, (laughs) where sometimes we would cross over and I would be leaving work at like 10 and you would be coming in from doing a press junket. And we would talk about positive affirmations like for ages. And that's kind of how we got talking. And, but it was literally because it was just so awful. You write about that in the book. Tell me about that time. Gosh, this TV experience, it was the antithesis of what people assumed it was. So everybody looked at us and they were like, oh, TV hosts, TV reporters, how glamorous. They're interviewing Tom Cruise and George Clooney and hanging out with One Direction. And for so long, I wanted people to believe that. I wanted people to believe the illusion because I almost had bought into the illusion as to why I wanted to do it in the first place. I definitely wanted to do it for more reasons than that. And I... I have always been inspired by TV presenters in general from watching Blue Peter growing up. This was, I think, when my workaholism started, like my addiction to work, which again is an, a strange addiction because everyone assumes like addiction, drugs, and I generally became addicted to work. And it's really painful, I guess, when you put your self-worth in the hands of somebody else, which I did with our TV producer. And I just so desperately craved him saying, well done, Poppy. Good job, Poppy. Great interview, Poppy. And he would never give it. Or if he did give it, it was like, oh, here's a little compliment, but I'm going to criticize you at the same time. And then you'd be left starving for days waiting for the next kind of compliment. And also, I think this is when I really realized that no matter how hard I tried, nothing would be perfect. And I was so desperate to be a perfect TV presenter because in my mind, they had no problems. Their lives were must just be blessed. They must get everything they want. They must be loved the entire time. That's what I thought my life was going to be like. And instead, everything would go wrong. Like I was this real life Bridget Jones because didn't matter again, like how hard I tried, everything would go wrong. And and then there was this interview with Jude Law. And obviously it was a, I mean, it was my biggest opportunity yet. And I remember they did not want to give me the opportunity to interview Jude. And this is what a TV producer would do. We would all sit there and wait for basically to be allocated different interviews. And he'd be like, hmm, somebody needs to interview Jude Law. And obviously everyone was like, oh my gosh, that'd be, that'd be great. I mean, (laughs) me, 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 me. And he's like, and he's looking around and everyone at that moment in time was away from their desks. Other people were on shoots. There was really just no one else available for this interview and he's looking at me and he's like oh god who and I'm thinking to myself me 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 why is he not choosing me and then finally he was like oh I guess you can no one else is here and then he just says just don't fuck it up right 
And then I basically fucked it up. Yeah, I basically walked into this interview room and fell flat on my face, revealing half a butt cheek. But oh, a brutal emotional bully for years, right? It was definitely a tense place to work for that reason. What does that do to the mental health of someone who, as you say in your book, you know, you were already in a place where you were kind of trying to people please you know you you were trying to be better more perfect if I'm just more this if I'm more that how did that affect you and, and kind of set you up for the next few years after that so I made his actions become evidence for what I was feeling inside so when he didn't pick me I didn't think to myself he's just a weirdo that we all then like discovered I was like I'm just clearly not enough And I remember him saying, like, no one's going to like you. Uh, You need to change your hair. Your voice isn't right. This is just not the career for you. And that was just heartbreaking because I remember growing up, I felt like I wasn't right when I was 13. I wasn't, like, pretty enough. I wasn't talented enough. I wasn't, you know, I was always basically sub on every (laughs) sports team and thought that when I left school, finally, I'll be enough because I'll be able to do what I want to do. I'm not restricted by this school environment. And then it was like more evidence. It was everything I was desperately trying to prove I wasn't. It's interesting. Someone gave me a quote the other day, you know, people are sent to champion you, challenge you or cherish you. And he challenged me. And I, you know, I don't have any actually resentment anymore towards him because I think it's really easy to place a lot of blame on the people in the past that have made us feel a certain way. And that doesn't free us from the past. It only keeps our resentment there of like, I can't believe he treated me like that. And actually he took the fears that I had about myself and intensified them about a hundred. I became a hundred times more insecure. So then five years after working with him, I really saw the consequences because that's when I had that chronic exhaustion and burnout and total crash where I suddenly had to go, oh, what do I believe about myself? Because, wow, that's very critical and very mean. And how can you expect to be healthy if the thoughts inside of your head are so unhealthy? So what other people would have definitely seen, like you said, is the glamour. They would have seen, okay, well, you're moving off to LA, so you must therefore be fine. Like, what could possibly be wrong with you? And so I want you to talk a little bit about the duck syndrome that was happening in you between that time in that newsroom and then the five years later when you had the big crash. Yeah, so I remember being really taught that I did not matter. And that is something that we talk about a lot. We had four years of our working life where everyone in that office was told that they were irrelevant to the person you were interviewing. And and this is what I find, I guess, so interesting about mental health, because often I think we always assume that it must have been our childhood that creates these traumas. But honestly, uh, we are so vulnerable as human beings in general at any age you can go through these experiences and they can be really subtle. And this is why I think emotional bullying in general is something we don't talk about enough because it can be so subtle and it's just a look or it's just, and no one can really trace it, especially in work, in the workplace. It could just be an email and you can't say, look, this person is being mean because you sound petty. 
But you know deep down what that is potentially supposed to mean. And I hadn't obviously really understood about this idea of how do we build our emotional armor and how do we use self-awareness to almost be our weapon, I guess. And so, you know, when you talk about duck syndrome, I'd learned for so many years that you put a smile on your face and you make everything look fine and you meet someone and someone asks you, how are you? And you go, I'm good because (laughs) God forbid you shared any of the truth. Because also what it's telling you is your opinion doesn't matter. So you're irrelevant. Your opinions don't count. And it's all about the other person in the interaction. Yeah. And I took that on because I was so desperate for this person to like me and to validate me and say I was doing well, because to me, they were the key to my career. They were the key to the next step I needed to get on. So whatever he told me, if I was going to be insignificant, yep, I accepted it as fact. I was like, fine, you know, whatever, I'm insignificant. And it's taken a long, 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 long time to almost like have the confidence to think that my opinions do matter. And it's interesting, even the way I interview, usually I don't share too much of my own story because I'm still trying to break away from the conditioning that my voice doesn't matter. And so writing this book, I guess, is is really facing my fears because suddenly for the first time ever, I'm really sharing like vulnerable stories. And I've been told for so many years that nobody wants to hear my story. So it's very peculiar time and one of like great kind of self-discovery I'm in at the moment. But going back to duck syndrome, duck syndrome is something that is so intensified by social media because we only show us gliding across the water. We only show our work successes. We only show those glamorous pics, those gorgeous restaurants. And then underneath we're paddling for dear life. And also at the same time, we're comparing our own lives to the lives we're projecting. So even in the gap between this lovely feed I was able to create, but actually sitting in the mess of my own life, that gap makes us then feel even worse. So that really like defined majority of my 20s until I was paddling too hard to stay afloat. I was working so hard. I had a job in England, a job in America. I wasn't stopping. I was a people pleaser. I wanted to go out at night, never say no to anyone, make sure everyone was happy with me and saying yes to everybody else basically meant I said no to myself. And suddenly I wind up in hospital in LA, not knowing what is wrong with me. And then I get told, oh, you're burnt out. And I'm like, burn out. No, no, no. (laughs) I'm like an achiever. I'm a worker bee. Like I can work, 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 work. And tell me about how do you actually cope with the, and I wonder if it's a sense of shame in that, in terms of crashing and burning and, and feeling like you say that gap of who you are, who you want to be. And now actually what's happening? Like, how did you turn that around in your own mind at that time? Honestly, it came from suddenly going, right, I'm going to learn about how my brain works. Why? Why is it doing this? Because we are created in a way perfectly, right? Look at the human body, our digestion system, like our blood cells, like we are really complex human beings. And so why am I being so mean to myself? There will be a biological and scientific reason behind this. And in a way, the research and understanding the science of the mind was my path to freedom. It was my path to actually understanding that I was normal. I wasn't crazy. 
the fact that our brain is wired to predict and protect. And of course I've burned out because when you start to understand our biology, and that's why in the chapter three, I write about cold shower reality checks. When you suddenly have a reality check of like how we're wired, you're suddenly like, of course I'm experiencing anxiety. That's normal. My brain is trying to do something good for me, but actually it's at the moment, it's gone a bit out of control. And there's something that you said in the book and you said, I started to learn there might be a difference between mental health maintenance and fundamental mental health reprogramming. They support each other, but they're not the same. So in that process of learning, tell me, you know, what that meant to you in terms of how did you outwork that? Well, I started to build the Happy Not Perfect app because really the whole reason I wanted to do that is because I wanted to put my mum in an app. I suddenly was going through this total crisis and it's the first time I go, oh God, I've got a psychotherapist mother. Why the hell have I not been listening to her? And so there I am, like, you know, almost kind of like with the tail between my legs being like, you're right. I was pushing myself too hard. You're right. The reason why I've been bloated for nearly six months now is because I'm stressed the doctor just told me and it was like I needed a second opinion to be able to confirm everything that they'd been warning me about and they're like you must slow down you must slow down but you know I couldn't my insecurity was like no you're not enough you've got to keep going got to keep going and your insecurities that inner critic can be so loud it doesn't matter what anyone is telling you and I think sometimes That's why hitting rock bottom isn't always a bad thing. And I write in the book how this amazing friend of mine called Heather Lillingston, who's the founder of Yoga for Bad People. And she said, you know what? Breakdowns have been like my greatest point of change. Don't waste a breakdown. Breakdowns actually give you an opportunity to change because otherwise we are so stuck in our habits that you almost need your world to be shaken like a snow shaker, so shaken up that you're actually willing to try new things and you're actually willing to challenge what you've been doing up until now, what you thought was working out for you. And so I wanted to put a psychotherapist in an app because I suddenly thought, well, I'm now getting this incredible help from my mum, but what would happen if I didn't have a mother who was a psychotherapist? What would, what would you do? So I started really researching and then I became breathwork instructor because breathwork really worked for me. I found breathwork to be far more effective than meditation. Then I still felt some of that intense anxiety. And I was like, why? Why is it not going away? Why is it not going away? Why do things feel exactly the same? Why am I still desperately insecure? And I realized that there's a difference between like maintenance, mental health maintenance, like keeping your uh, cortisol in check, you know, making sure that you're not in fight and fight the whole time. But then there's actually digging deep, understanding how you work, what your core beliefs are, what actually is controlling that inner critic. What are your great fears? I didn't really know what my fears were to be honest. I just knew I felt uncomfortable. I kind of knew what I wanted, but I didn't think why I wanted them. Why was I forcing myself to work this hard? Because I clearly wasn't complete as I was. I needed something to complete me. Why did I not think I was complete? And that is the difference to neuroreprogramming where you suddenly go, if fears can be learned, they can be unlearned, but it takes us time to understand 
how we're wired in the first place to then be able to rewire. And that's really about neural reprogramming. And it's just a deeper layer of the mindfulness, mental health world. And look, sometimes you can have these great revelations in meditation, but I found rare. Meditation is not the solution for everything. Well, I think if you have a busy mind, it's tough. I found it incredibly difficult just to switch off and concentrate on my breath and see it as a golden ball. I've never (laughs) ascended to those heights. So what was it about breath work that was different for you? Breath work, and if we just do it all now, because I just feel like the sensation is so amazing. If you just kind of relax your shoulders down and you can literally be doing this wherever you are and you unclench your jaw, and I think this is amazing because we have, we store so much tension in our jaw. And then we just focus on breathing into the belly. So we inhale and expand the lungs and push our belly as if we're pregnant. So inhale all that air so that your belly expands so much, you're full to bursting and you hold it for a second longer and then you exhale. And then let's do that again through our nose. Let's inhale through our nose into the lower belly, expanding the belly on that inhale as the air rushes in, feeling full, holding it at that fullness, holding it for as long as you can, and then exhale. Oh, see, I already feel calmer. The thing for some people is, though, I think some people will hear you say this and they'll say, well, it's easy for you because you've had all this practice. I think something really important that you did and something important that you do is that you don't demonstrate wellness, you kind of live it. And I think one of the great things about your book is like the flexible thinking is about the reframing of things. In those moments when it's just like nothing is working, like you said, I still feel insecure, I've done my breath work, my body feels calm, but my mind is still in the throes. How do you reframe in those tricky moments? Just to go back to that point, there's one thing knowing, there's another thing doing. I definitely have been a real victim of this. You know, I remember on the going on this happiness tour, literally the irony, I'm giving talks every single night about this is what you need to do for your happiness and this and this. And I wasn't doing any of it myself. And as a consequence, I'm the most unhappiest speaker on the happiness tour. I knew the stuff rationally, but I didn't, wasn't doing it. And so the reason why I created the flex method, because it was actually something that I could do and it was practical, but I would caveat by saying having an accountability partner. So if, for example, like you read this book, it's really great to have a friend to read it to because Janelle is my accountability partner. (laughs) And so we have this group on WhatsApp whereby when we're going through a challenge, I know that I can kind of check in with somebody else to be like, I'm going through this and I'm going to do this about it. I think this is why what you're doing and what you have been doing is so important and instrumental because let's talk about the flex method in a second, but because it's not a demonstration of wellness. Can you talk about the damage that it can do when we don't do techniques too? Yes. So for example, in the book, I talk about stiff thinking 
we are all stiff thinkers until we stretch, just like our bodies. If we don't stretch our bodies, we become stiff. And what I mean by a stiff thinker is somebody who relies on their subconscious for every decision. And you also listen to your kind of mean inner critic. And when we're in a reactive mode, we're stiff. We are jumping to assumptions. We're jumping to conclusions. We have to be right. We've learned about the world and we want to force that view upon everything. So for example, something happens and immediately I'm like, that's because I'm not good enough. If they liked me, they wouldn't have done that. I jump to the conclusion, I'm being emotionally reactive. I'm being so stuck in my autopilot mode. And research found that 95% of our day is stuck in autopilot and our subconscious ruling our day. And our subconscious is purely created by past memories. So yes, the past is an architect of the present, but doesn't need to predict our future. But if we continue to be stiff and continue just to react, react, react through life, our future will look identical to our past. And that's why Einstein is a huge inspiration for me. And his quote, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing, expecting a different result. That is really the summary of being a stiff thinker. So flexibility is challenging what we think we know and understanding that we all have a blind spot. And information theory research found that the brain is being bombarded 11 million pieces of information and our conscious brain can only process 50. So of course we don't know everything. Of course we have huge blind spots. So for anyone who thinks they are right, then it's really ignorant because your brain is overwhelmed by the amount of information it's trying to process. There will, of course, be things you've missed. And you also don't know what someone else is thinking. You assume, you think you know, and then you draw meaning from it. So I used to be highly emotionally reactive. You know, I would receive an email and it would trigger me. It'd be a psychological threat. Immediately, I'd be in fight and flight. And I would, without even thinking, be typing that reply back in capital. I can't believe, you know, and then five minutes later, you're suddenly, your rational brain starts turning on, the wise part of you starts being activated and you go, oh my God, that was so stupid. Flexible thinking really helps you prevent many a moment of being reactional where our monkey mind is, is, is driving our car. Okay, so if you could describe the flex method, just give people the top lines, like I'm having a bad thought right now, what do I do? So the flex method, uh, which you'll learn in great depth in the book, has saved me so much. And it's based on four steps. One, connection. Two, curiosity. Three, choice. And four, commitment. So let's go through step one, connection. Connection is the opposite of numbing. So preflex, I would experience an uncomfortable emotion like, oh, I don't feel good enough. I feel insecure. I'm feeling anxious. And I'd go, uh, work harder because working was my way of numbing how I feel. I'm like, whatever. When I work harder, I won't feel like that anymore. And I wasn't processing it as suppression. And so acceptance commitment therapy was a huge inspiration for this first step being connection. And there's a technique called the diffusion technique. And you say something like, today, my mind feels anxious. And by saying that, you're reminding yourself that emotions are always temporary. You're saying today, today, emotions are always temporary. 
my mind feels anxious. Now, this is really important. You are not your emotions. I would walk around being like, well, I'm just a this person. I'm just a that person. And no one is a that or this person. We experience anxiety. We are not an anxious person. We experience anger. We're not an angry person. And then even just by verbalizing how you feel or writing it down or having someone like you, Janelle, where I can just put in a WhatsApp group, research shows we actually decrease the emotions impact. And I think that was just incredible. So when we accept and connect with however we're feeling unjudgmentally, it is the first step of the flex. And then it's about upgrading the connection with yourself because I found I can't think my way out of a problem. I have to move my way out of a problem. You know, for example, I'll be, you know, sitting there working on my laptop, feeling stressed for some reason. If I just sit there in my stress, I won't find a new solution to the problem. I will just sit there festering, getting more stressed and more stressed and more anxious as my shoulders become more hunched, my breath moves higher. And actually now part of the flex is about, right, change my energy. Do I go for a walk for five minutes? Do I go for a run for 20 minutes? Do I just dance? The energy that created our stress can't solve our stress. Change it. And by the way, you're not even trying to face your fears at this point. You're not trying to do anything. This is purely a a physical step of acceptance and changing the energy inside of you. I must say, having seen you on Instagram, dancing it out sometimes, sometimes that is something that I do. I'm like, my head is actually, I feel like it's going to explode. Let me put on Beyonce and... and just move my body and just go, okay, okay, yeah, okay, right, back in the game, back in the game. Right, it is, it's like your favourite track. I like have kind of basically 70s hits and you upgrade your energy. And in the book, I talk about Hawkins' scale of consciousness and Dr. Uh, Hawkins found that every emotion has a different energetic frequency. So when we're stuck in shame and blame and guilt, it's such a low energy. And the easiest way to raise your actual vibrations is to move your body. And so when you're raising your vibrations, it's so much easier for you to access acceptance. It doesn't even have to be joy. You could just get to acceptance. Acceptance is a higher vibration than guilt and blame and shame, which is so stuck in the past. Acceptance is like, I can accept everything that's happened because I know right now I have a choice to change things and what I do right now. And so that's why that movement step is critical to actually scientifically changing your energetic vibration for you to then actually be able to challenge the thoughts that have created the stress in the first place. So I could ask you so many more questions, Poppy, and I just want to thank you. And I'm sure everyone's really grateful for hearing the story of you that led you to this place of of doing this work that I have found to be life-changing for me. I remember you telling me when you were starting Happy Not Perfect and all about this theory, and I just found it captivating. And I think we're all still here captivated by it and also by you. Now, the best way to hear about the rest of the Flex Method, and you going to need the other two steps aren't you if you want to keep moving forward (laughs) with your journey is to pre-order the book happy not perfect and poppy it's been a pleasure of mine to speak to you today oh thank you so much janelle for um having a good chatter it's such a treat to talk to friends on this podcast we've never done it before so i'd love to hear everyone's feedback because obviously usually i kind of follow a very strict structure on the podcast 
that every single guest that's been on this podcast has contributed to the book. So, so many of the amazing thought leaders that have been on here have shaped my thinking. And so the book is a combination and the culmination of everything that I've been taught in the last six years. And I think that was the main reason for me kind of wanting to put this book into the world was I've been lucky to have six years to fully dedicate my life to this. But I know most people listening to this do not have uh, six years to understand their mind better. So I hope the book, and it's also an audio book too. So if you like podcasts and you don't mind my voice, then the audio book is a really easy way to consume it. And it's got tons of exercises in it, but most importantly is so grounded in tons and tons of research to ensure that every tool has got a lot of clinical evidence behind it. And I really, really can't wait to hear about your flexible stories and what your journey might look like into thought flexibility. Because, you know, we spend so much time thinking about our food diet and every other diet under the sun, but we really don't think enough about our thought health and the thought diet that we're living on. And so thought health has become an extremely interesting area to me. And flexible thinking is truly a route to so much more freedom and inner trust and something that we, again, don't practice so much as building that trust we have for ourselves to know that whatever comes our way, we do have the tools inside of us and we do have the wisdom as well. And in this culture of guruism where everyone else kind of has the answers, I really want to help people understand that they know themselves better than anybody else. Amazing. Thanks, Janelle. Thank you for listening. It would be a huge support if you wouldn't mind rating, subscribing and sharing this podcast. I also would love to hear from you. So please find me at Poppy Jamie on Instagram, DM me and I would love to hear your thoughts on any of the topics that we discuss. Download Happy Not Perfect, my app that's designed to boost your mood and help you sleep and give you mindfulness in less than five minutes. It's packed full of science-backed tools and rituals to give your mind the care it needs. Sending lots of love and energy. See you next time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.